Luke 21 is, is a scripture that I'll be reading today. The, uh, the message is called, Even at the Doors, and it's five reasons our generation could be the last. A priest uh, and a pastor. It's a bad beginning, I know. A priest and a pastor from local parishes were standing by the side of a road holding a sign that said, The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. The first car that went by, driver yells, Leave us alone, you religious nuts. From around the curve, they heard screeching of tires and a big splash. Maybe, one clergy, clergy said to the other, maybe we should just put up a sign that says, the bridge is out. <laughs> Signs. Luke 21, beginning in verse 25, says, There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall, the, shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things Begin. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. You know, each, each generation believes theirs could be the last. It always feels as though the wheels are coming off and we're cascading headlong into the end of society as we know it. It's not uncommon for people past childbearing years, and maybe you've heard this, to reflect and say, I'm glad I'm not bringing kids into this world. That feeling of despair and impending doom is, is not unique to our generation. It's really nothing new. The Civil War encompassed the pain of a, of a nation divided. It was not only difficult, it was deadly. Somewhere between 620,000 and 700,000 people died in the bloodiest war in the history of our nation. I'm sure the, the prophecies were flowing from the 19th century prophets about the end of the age. Then there was the Industrial Revolution, uh, it was a threat to farmers and their long-standing source of both income and rich family tradition. For, for some, it was the cold realization that nothing would be the same. World War I was a phenomenon, uh, was a new phenomenon as the en entire globe was engulfed in conflict. Surely, the end was near. Nice to see the Beswalds. back from wintering in California. World War II. World War II was the war to end all wars. Turns out the end wasn't as near as we'd hoped. This led to the nuclear age and the Cold War. The images of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki devastated 
by the atomic bomb left us with the feeling that destruction was imminent. It was hard not to believe the world was nearing an end. The 1960s brought Vietnam and racial unrest to college campuses and to the streets of America. Life felt fragile, as if it could all come crashing down at, at any moment. The space age opened up the universe to us. We began to talk in realistic terms of space travel and space tourism and even living in a world far beyond our understanding. Today, technology leaves us with the feeling that the world is, is so interconnected that it could all be disabled in one fell swoop. And now, with the unrest in our nation, the political gridlock, problems on the home front, issues abroad, it all leaves us with this sense, this feeling of uncertainty. It feels as though it's unraveling, and that epic disaster is just around the corner. And so we ask, can the world survive another generation? Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, when you see all these things, all these signs, know that it is near, even at the doors. Now let's be clear. We don't know when this will happen. I stated earlier how every generation tends toward this feeling that it's, that it's all about to end, and, and that's normal, I believe. And while we all tend toward that feeling, one of these days, it'll come to pass. The universe is winding down. One thing we know for sure is found in Romans 13, 11. It says, knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation, now is our deliverance nearer than it's ever been before. It's nearer than when we first believed. So, so what are some things that tell us we may be that generation. Let me give you five reasons our generation could be the last. Number one, Israel. On May 14, 1948, in Tel Aviv, Israel was declared a nation again. After 2,000 years without a homeland, the Jewish people had their country back. This year, 2018, they will celebrate 70 years of statehood. Israel is one of the things to watch if you're wondering what God is up to. It's God's timepiece, if you will. With the sovereignty of Israel in place, it appears to many observers as though the stage is set. Ezekiel 38, which by the way, uh, our ladies' Bible study in, in, uh, uh, meets right on the other side of this wall Thursday mornings at 9.30. They're studying Ezekiel. They're amazing gals. Ezekiel 38 predicts a war of nations that will 
align themselves against Israel in the last days. God, of course, will provide a supernatural victory for Israel, not unlike he did during the Six-Day War of 1967. And we see this aligning of nations against Israel taking place even now. It's not difficult to imagine this happening. The region and even the world seems to have a predisposition against Israel, and they're not afraid to talk about it. In many circles, Israel is, is, is hated. It's not uncommon to see protests where the chant is, death to Israel. Scripture is clear, however. Jews are the chosen people of God. And while it's true they've looked past the Messiah, they are still the apple of God's eye. The Gentiles have been grafted in and are called to fulfill the task Israel has neglected. But make no mistake, Israel is special to God. We do not preach replacement theology here. We're not the new Israel. We have a role to fill until Israel figures it out. We're here to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we wait and we pray for the scales to fall from the eyes of the Jewish people. And we pray unceasingly for the day when, as Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. It's one reason to be thankful for the current White House administration. We as a nation stand unabashedly with Israel, and we ought not to underestimate how significant that is. It may well be what has kept us afloat as a nation. For God has clearly stated, I will bless those who bless Israel, and I will curse those who curse Israel. Now in the meantime, the rest of the world is aligning itself against Israel. It, it, never, it never ceases to amaze me. This tiny nation, not much bigger, think of this, not much bigger than the smallest of our states, draws so much worldwide attention. They're the top story on, on a regular basis. The eyes of the world are upon them. They, they, should, they should be a blip on the screen. They should be a drop in the bucket, one grain of sand on the, on the giant beach of life, and yet somehow they're more, much more. They're chosen of God. Keep your eye on Israel in this, their 70th year of statehood. Number two, again, we're talking about five reasons our generation could be the last. Number one is Israel. Number two is the worldwide gospel. The gospel spread to the ends of the earth has long been deemed one of the signs of the world nearing its end. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then... The end will come. There are still unreached people groups, but they're relatively few and far between compared to not all that long ago. It all depends on how you define unreached people groups, I guess. One interdenominational organization committed to reaching the world says there are still 
1,347 unengaged, unreached people groups. For these approximately 41 million people, Christ remains unknown. And yet tremendous progress has been made. We have more missionary organizations, more effective missionary organizations than ever before in the history of man. Couple that with the internet and almost unlimited telecommunications and other forms of media, and we begin to realize that the globe is, is now within reach. Now we still have work to do. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we're called to do. And, and I hope and I pray that every young person within the sound of my voice, seriously ask God if their calling is to be a missionary. That should be question number one. Before you ever ask God what it is he wants you to do, ask him first if he's called you to be a missionary. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the peoples. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now this is the work of the church until he comes. This is your work and, and my work. But progress is being made. According to one source, there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. That means the number of Christians has quadrupled in the last 100 years. And 100 years ago, 95% of the Christians lived in the United States and Europe. Today, 24% of Christians are elsewhere. So up from just 5% 100 years ago, 24% of the Christians live elsewhere. That tells us Christianity is spreading around the globe. It's one more reason our generation may be the last. Number three, the propensity for worldwide destruction. One of the things that has changed in the last century is the capability of catastrophic destruction in the hands of the nations of the world. It's not a bunch of foot soldiers slinging rocks and shooting arrows anymore. Nuclear weapons have upped the ante. There's not only the feeling, but the reality of imminent and catastrophic destruction. It was bad enough when it was just the United States and the Soviet Union who possessed nuclear capabilities in the 1960s. At least then we had deterrent as an incentive for restraint. But now we have rogue nations and cultic dictators with nuclear weaponry at their disposal. We have small nations with unstable leaders who have nothing to lose hoping to make their mark in the world, even if it means going out in a blaze of glory, taking as many people as possible with them. If everyone starts launching their nuclear warheads, we'll be living in a post 
post-apocalyptic world in a very short period of time. This is, this is cheery, isn't it? Zechariah 14, this will perk you up too. Zechariah 14, 12 says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Israel. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouth. Sounds to me like a nuclear holocaust. 2 Peter 3.12 says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The Bible describes the extent and the scope of death after this kind of cataclysmic war in Ezekiel 39. We're back with the ladies in Ezekiel 39, beginning in verse 11. The think, now, what I want you to hear in here is the scope of death here. It shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, in the valley of the passengers or the travelers on the east of the sea, and it shall, it shall stop the noses of the travelers. And there shall they bury Gog and his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamangog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall be burying them. Verse 14, And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land to, to bury with the bodies, with the travelers that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. And the travelers that pass through the land, and when they, when they see a man's bone, they shall set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it. Before the days of nuclear warfare, this portion of the Bible wouldn't have made much sense to the reader. Now we understand it all too well. We've seen the devastation. So many will die that they will employ people full-time for seven months to bury the dead. Joel 2, 30 and 31 says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The proliferation of nuclear weapons certainly lends credence to the thought that our generation could be the last. I bet you didn't get this cheery stuff out in California, did you? Number four, the accumulation of knowledge. Five reasons that our generation could be the last. Five signs that our generation could be the last. Number four, the accumulation of knowledge. Daniel was a prophet. He was a prophet of God some 600 years before Jesus lived. He was given marvelous prophecies of the end times. But they were hidden from view, if you will. Impossible to understand, at least, until certain events occurred and certain milestones were achieved. 
And then in Daniel 12, 4, we read this. It says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Now when is that? We get the answer to that question in the second half of the verse. When many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. It certainly and clearly points to the day and age in which we live. Throughout history, we've had a gradual increase in knowledge. But over the past 150 years, knowledge has dramatically increased. Literally an explosion of knowledge. For hundreds of years, hundreds of years, century upon century, the best and the fastest means of transport was a horse or a camel. Now we can travel at hundreds of miles per hour and we have the capability to cross the globe and back again in the same day. Technology has, has developed at an extremely rapid pace leading to an increase in computer power, more scientific discoveries, and unparalleled medical advancement. Microbiology has led to increased knowledge in realms that we didn't even know existed a few decades ago. Now we understand the makeup of DNA and cell structure and much of the rest of the microscopic subatomic levels. And how about the running to and fro part? A few decades ago, people hardly left the region of their birth. They estimate that Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from, from where he was born. And even in our lifetime, some of us, you, you were born on the family property, you grew up there, you inherited it, and you raised your children there. My grandpa lived his entire life in one house. I'm not saying that's good. It just is. Today we live in the age of planes, trains, and automobiles. We travel to and fro across town multiple times of day, most of us. And others travel across the country on a regular basis, some for work, some for pleasure. Last week or so, just from our little congregation, we had people in Mexico, people in Colorado, people in Pennsylvania, and people in Chile. And this is just what I happen to be aware of. Centuries ago, someone discovered fire. Not much changed for hundreds of years. Then it was the wheel. It revolutionized the world. But again, not much changed for centuries at a time. Today it changes at the speed of life. It changes so fast we can't keep up with it. I always say we used to, they used to have kids for help on the farm. Now we have kids for tech support. <laughs> there are no phones with cords on them hanging from the walls anymore. It's in your pocket. And now it's not just a phone, it's a handheld computer. It's a handheld television set. We're on the cusp of driverless cars trips to other planets, 3D printing, 
And the world of robotics and artificial intelligence is a culture I'm not sure I'm ready for yet. Knowledge is increasing at a feverish pace. There's just no telling where it takes us from here. It, it seems to me to be reminiscent of Genesis 11, where the people of the world were building a tower in a vain attempt to reach heaven. And God recognized that there was nothing this people could not accomplish in their misguided efforts. And so he chose to intervene. It's just one more reminder that our generation may be the last. Number five, problems in the church. Paul saw it coming. 2 Timothy 3, know this, he says, that in the last days, what are we talking about? We're talking about the last generation, right? We're talking about signs, we're talking about reasons that our generation could be the last. Paul said, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which means without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, Paul says, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, and I like this part, and, and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Church is under attack from several angles. Greed and lust are the grand co-conspirators that have undermined the modern church. We've all lived through the scandals from sexual perversion in the Catholic Church to the fall of the TV evangelists in the evangelical world. No one is exempt, it seems. Entire denominations have compromised their thinking on issues such as same-sex marriage and abortion. They are ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Problems in the church. Technology has, has bred laziness. We can get church at home. We can listen to worship music at home. We can watch a sermon from home and even give from home. We can have the entire church experience and never get out of bed. Or can we? Our mobility retards our level of commitment. Pastors have short tenures, viewing their current ministry as a stepping stone to something bigger, something better, something warmer. 
And attenders can attend church every week without ever attending the same church twice. Some churchgoers have begun to see themselves as, as free agents, attending the church that meets their demands and appeases their preferences. So pastors compete for attenders like businesses compete for customers. And the result is catastrophic. For the time will come, it says in 2 Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Churches pad the pews, pad the numbers, and attenders bounce around like Goldilocks trying to find the church that's just right. The result is a superficial and inconsistent church, unable to resolve conflict and unable to reach a world dying without Jesus. The church is soft and shallow, a mile wide, and an inch deep. We want the dynamic services, but we don't want to invest in study and prayer. The spiritual disciplines that demand something of us on our way to spiritual formation are now relics from the past, no longer applicable to the modern churchgoer. The church is in crisis from the top down. Prosperity has not served us well. We're spoiled, rotten. Sometimes the problem is the pastor. And I think that's been the case here. Sometimes there's a vision. I don't mean a, a vision like a dream or that kind of a vision. But you have a vision for the future. What you want it to look like, what you feel like God has called you to. And sometimes within that vision, you can get narrow. And I think that's happened to me. And the result of that has been that I haven't seen the other points of view sometimes. And I've left some of you feeling like you're unheard, unvalidated. And I apologize. I never meant to hurt you. But I know I got narrow, and I know I missed some things. There's lots I don't know, but I do know this. I, knew that, I know that the church is precious to Jesus. I know he hasn't given up on us. We just need to remind ourselves that our generation could be the last. 1 Peter 4.7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch and pray. Five reasons our generation could be the last. Let me sum these up for you. Israel. 
They're in the 70th year of statehood. That's a significant number. Keep your eye on Israel. Five reasons our generation could be the last. Number two, the worldwide gospel. The gospel has literally spread around the globe. And according to that verse that I read in Matthew 24, that's one of the indicators of the end time. Number three, the propensity for worldwide destruction. How many rogue dictators can have nuclear capabilities before somebody presses the button and we have chaos on our hands? Number four, the, the accumulation of knowledge. Knowledge is increased to the degree to the, to the place where we can't keep up. We cannot keep up with, with the increase of knowledge. It's exploding at an unprecedented rate. And number five, problems in the church. Now, I'm not saying the end is here. Don't leave here saying, Tom's predicting the end. I'm not saying the end is here. I don't even know for sure if the end is near. But it sure feels like it. If nothing else, the thought that our generation could be the last should remind us, first of all, to make sure that we're right with Jesus. Make sure that you're right with Jesus. Make sure that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Make sure that you're serving him with everything that you've got. Because there's no guarantee of tomorrow. And second, it should create a sense of urgency in us to reach the lost. We ought to be concerning ourselves with what really matters. If you knew this was the last generation, what would you do different? Would you bow your head and close your eyes as, as I just close this? Lord, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that we would begin to look at life differently. Lord, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says that we ought not to predict when these things will happen, and I don't believe that I've done that. But I believe it's imminent, and, and the word imminent means that it could happen at any moment. I believe it could happen at any moment, whether that's in five days or five years or five decades. I don't know. But I know it's imminent. And as I read the scriptures and as we ponder the things we've talked about and other signs as well, it just seems like it, it could be near. I believe that's the way you taught us to live. And maybe you wired into us. You wired it into every generation, that feeling that this has got to be the end so that we would live with an urgency. Lord, I pray for the one that's here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be their day. That they would say, God, I've never thought about it this way. I need to be right with you. Would you forgive my sins? Would you cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Would you show me how to live for you? And for the rest of us who have maybe grown complacent, picked up some blind spots like me, who have begun to coast 
Lord, would you cultivate in us an urgency to win the lost, to preach the gospel at every turn. And that doesn't mean holding up the end as mere sign. It means living in a way that's winsome for our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, the marketplace, the world. Lord, may we use our resources in a way that brings glory and honor to you, not just for our own selfish desires. And Lord, for our church and for their pastor, Lord, I pray that you would do something new in us, that you would soften our hearts, that we might become all that you've called us to be. Lord, we stand here today as your hands and your feet. That we might reach this lost world that feels so hopeless at times. People feel so alone. Lord, may, may we be the difference makers. May we step into that void with the message of the gospel. There's a God who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world to pay your price, to pay your penalty for your sins so that you might live forever with him in heaven. In Jesus' name.